Well, okay, first of all, um, I tried to buy the book, um, and 20th Century Fox bought it. And I remember thinking, well, that's that. And uh, Josh Donnan, who became my agent, who was the guy who was trying to buy the book with me, said, you should go in and you should talk with Lord Ziskin, because Lord Ziskin is not Fox. It's not the Fox that you had to deal with on Alien. I said, here's the two ways you can go. You can do the $3 million version of this movie and make it on videotape and, and make your seditious little sharp stick in somebody's eye who may see it someday at, in some little tiny theater or maybe or may go straight to DVD. Or the real act of sedition here is the $50 million version, give or take. And to put movie stars in it, get people to go and and talk about, you know, this anti-consumerist rantings of a, of a schizophrenic madman. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by... So we are continuing with uh, David Fincher and we have another double feature for you. We have Fight Club and Panic Room. And I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but uh, before our last episode, before our recording, I said, like, actually this is a weirdly perfect double feature. Um, and the reason for that is this this should just be titled... This episode should just be titled The Fuck Jared Leto uh, Double mm. Feature. Because... Uh, not a not a fun time for pretty little Jared Leto in either one of these movies, and it didn't even occur to me as I was thinking about these movies, like that he was in both of them, or that you know he was gonna get you know physically punished in some way in both of these movies. But it's like, I mean, I put something on Twitter that said uh, you know David Fincher hates Alien Three and Jared Leto just as much as I do apparently, because that is in both of these movies, man, it is rough. <laughs> Yeah, not, uh, well, in particular in Fight Club, I would say there's no, nothing redeemable about him, unless, you know, you, you, uh, you like middle management, even among the, uh, space monkeys, you know, he's gonna make sure <laughs> everything is running as it should, as, uh, you know, the, being the brown noser, brown noser that he is to Tyler Durden, uh, I will come to his defense, when we get to Panic Room, and that he is playing an idiot, and you know how I feel about yes. dumb characters on you screen. Do like I like to see more of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, so some of it, uh, you know, it's a little much. Um, it, it feels it, it rides up to that line of a full ham uh, mode, but I'm gonna accept it because yes. you know, can you imagine like how bad Panic Room would be if he was playing like the Forrest Whitaker role, like seeing Oof. Jared Leto like you know, emote in that way. Or be honorable. So, no. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, Fincher has an eye for how to make Jared Leto palatable. Um, yes. <laughs> even though we are talking about an Oscar winner and currently mm -hmm. Fincher is not. Boy, what a world we live in. Ugh, God, that is world. tragic. And, you know, if Jared Leto had won for something good, that would be fine. He could have won an Emmy for My So-Called Life. He was incredibly dreamy. Uh, in that, as uh, what was the what was that character's name? I've I've forgotten uh, the, who the 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 dreamboat was in the, that one. Angela was Claire Danes. Yeah, Brian was yeah, the nerd. I got nothing. Yeah, Brian. Clearly, was the I, nerd. I had yeah. I had Ricky nothing was to the, relate to. The gay best friend. Like, mm, yeah, yeah. That's gonna that's gonna bug me until I look it up. But 
Well, you, uh, you just uh, talk about Fight Club, and I'll look up my okay. circle of life, and we'll be fine. So this is our, strangely, our Christmas episode. Um, so Fight Club is an interesting choice for Christmas, since it is very anti-capitalism and anti, uh, anti-the anti system uh, going on here with Tyler Durden's like final, uh, final mission in this movie. So it's a very interesting movie to watch right around Christmas. But we also talked about in our last episode how strangely this movie holds up better than something like seven uh, despite the fact that it's been in some ways co-opted by a bunch of fucking idiots uh who weren't really watching the movie they just thought brad pitt looked fucking cool and he did i mean there's there's no arguing that fact uh but there's a lot more going on i think underneath the surface than like brad pitt punching people in this movie it's not you know this is not troy this is not not that kind of movie uh, a time where the uh, red like leather jacket that he wears was something that was trying to be sold much like um ryan gosling's scorpion jacket and drive yep um mm-hmm. kind of hits you the same way actually maybe maybe even worse because you know tyler durden is uh i guess we can do spoiler right for Fight Club i, I think you know it came out in 1999 i think we're safe at this point. it is you know the idea of what the most appealing man would be to another man. So it's, uh, you know, it's <laughs> Brad Pitt. Uh, even this man's like fantasy life has been co-opted by, you know, the, the advertising that in one scene, Brad Pitt on the bus is making fun of himself. And it's like, well, you look just like the type of people that would, <laughs> they would sell me that jacket, sir. And, to what you're saying, I don't think that a lot of the maybe younger fans uh, at the time necessarily made that connection. Because, and you know what, I'm I'm not gonna kick them uh, in their youth because I was a teenager when I saw this. He was pretty fucking cool. Tyler Durden is the yes. one that you'd want to be like. So I I can't imagine anyone aspiring to be Ed Norton here in any particular sequence. Uh, even when he quits his job, he still has to beat the shit out of himself instead of someone else. I don't know. And that might be as um, strangely yeah. as coolest moment. Like that's <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I was reaching for, and I'm like, well, I still don't really want to go through that. So, um, but yeah, Fight Club, as we talked about last episode, uh, I think quickly became misunderstood. Um, maybe that was God. I can't imagine if this came out with Twitter, like opening weekend of this movie. Oh with God, Twitter! Like we need to talk about Mike. Fight why Club would you even bring this. that up? Like, oh no, <laughs> I don't even want to because think it, about it. It put me back into that space where I was really excited about it. I remember seeing a teaser trailer for this, uh, of all things, uh, for Star Wars Episode One. It was like a little quick, like true teaser, and I was just like, "What the fuck's with the pink soap? Like, why is that the the, the title shot? Why is Fight Club ca- carved in the soap?" And uh, I was there opening weekend for this. I was pumped. I'm like, "That looks like a cool movie. I like Seven. I like the game." But everyone hated it. I mean, I remember I got the F score from Entertainment Weekly, and then two months later, it was on a cover of theirs that's proclaimed 1999, the greatest year in film. And there was fight club, the film that two months ago, they said, this is the worst of the worst. So there was definitely a whiplash, uh, in the reaction to this is terrible. This is a disaster. This is the greatest thing ever. So I guess my point is I can absolve the, the people that maybe got the wrong impression of it because I don't think the adults in the room really knew how to categorize this, at least initially mm-hmm. on release. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree. Oh, and fucking Jordan Catalano, that was his name in my so-called life. I don't know how I, I forgot did have that, that up on my screen, back. and I was wondering how to work that in. Uh, I thought it would be dismissive adventure, but that's nope. a hell of a name. We remember fucking 
Angela and Brian, but Jordan Catalano <laughs> couldn't get that totally, one down. Totally God. Yes. Yeah, Revenge um, of yeah. the Nerds here on a podcast directed by. <laughs> yes. But this was also a movie I was really excited about it when it came out. I wasn't one of those people who had like read the book and was like, oh my God, I can't wait to see this on screen. But, you know, you cast Brad Pitt and Edward Norton and I'm there because um, Edward Norton has been one of my favorite actors, like probably since, um, what was the movie he did with Richard Gere? Um, Primal Fear. Primal I think that Fear. Was his first feature film. Yeah, yeah. I think that was like his introduction, and like ever since then, I was like, "Oh, this is someone I need to watch." Like you just knew, it's it's a little bit different than you know someone like Brad Pitt, who you see him and you're like, "That's a movie star." When you see him in like Delma and Louise, right? But uh, you see Edward mm-hmm. Norton, and you're like, "Man, this guy is incredibly talented." Like you just know from the first moment you see him, and like frankly. Uh, there's not many bad performances in his career. Like, I think he's great. And some of that could be because he's pretty choosy about the movies he does. It's not like he's only doing film roles. He does a lot of stage, too. But, like, these two in a movie, and I was like, all right, let's go. I'm in. Um, and you happen to see his uh, singing? I think he's sang in the Woody Allen musical. Everyone says uh, I, did, I didn't see that one. I didn't see that one. I don't know if that was actually his voice or not, but I... I think as a uh, as I said as a teenager at the time, it's like man, this Ed Norton guy is cool. I may not have found that as cool. I don't yeah. remember having a poster. Less... Of everyone says I love you on my wall. <laughs> I don't think anybody <laughs> did. I think you're safe there. <laughs> yeah, and but I think you bring up a good point about how Brad Pitt is not only like you know, you know the kind of hottest movie star for you know for. For straight women but also this is the like this is like the old joke of like women want to be with him and men want to be him like he hmm. he and it's amazing because he comes on the screen in this and you know if you're if you're talking about like the fashion aspect like you mentioned the red jacket and there's a scene where he's wearing like a fishnet shirt like he just is like uh <laughs> it's everything that you feel like like <laughs> straight men would make fun of and yet brad pitt pulls it off and they talked in the director's commentary about how you know they chose the wardrobe very specifically to be loud and brash because tyler durden is because you know as you know spoilers as we know tyler durden is a manifestation right so he's the id he is just like i'm gonna pick things that make me happy and i'm gonna be loud and on top of things and i'm gonna do whatever i want so that's why that stuff makes sense whereas like Edward Norton kind of falls in the background as normal people do. Like, I'm just going to wear my, my work outfit. I'm going to wear my white shirt and my black tie and I'm going to go to work and blah, blah, blah. And Tyler is like this, this is everything I want to be. These are the things I want to do. And because it's a movie that has, you know, this gigantic twist at the end, I was wondering if you were watching it. Um, Cause obviously you've seen it before um and you watch it a second third fifth tenth time whatever it is are there any moments that stand out to you in this movie where you're like okay that doesn't make sense and it like kind of kind of bugs me or do you just kind of let that stuff go hmm um well i i do i'm putting myself back into the 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 teenage mike viewpoint where i had a pretty good idea uh, I don't remember at what point that I'm like, wow, the way Tyler Durden comes in and out of his life 
uh, is not the most natural of things anyway. Um, cause it just, you know, he's, I think his first appearance is he's coming down the escalator. Is he not like he's, yep. he's there well, before they're even properly kind finished. of, uh, because they have, cause Fincher is Fincher. Uh, you have this whole running subplot of what Tyler Durden does and like putting splices of pornography into, mm. into Disney films. Um, there are, which I love, there are shots early in the movie where Tyler Durden is there for one frame. Um, and that's your cue if you're rewatching the it to office environment. I think he like blips yeah. in. Yeah. Um, so obviously, and I think there's yeah, one they're... when he's like leaving one of the support groups. Like it's really quick, and it's like mm. so Tyler is always there because of course he is Tyler Durden. Like it all makes sense. But but you're right. Later, it like as far as like actually physically there in a way that your conscious mind is going to see it. The first time is them passing each other. I think in the airport. Um, that kind yes. of walkway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I remember not really digging the twist because I was enjoying the movie so much. It's not the it's like oh how dare they do this to me? Uh, you know that that's uh, completely off the uh, the well trodden path here. That's too weird for this movie. That you know you do have a grown man crying into Meatloaf's breasts. So amazing. God bless Meatloaf in this movie. <laughs> I can't say that it comes out of nowhere, but I remember, I think, in the theater thinking, like, ah, this is going to be just, like, a twist movie now. It's going to be known. Like, I was enjoying this so much. I'm laughing. Uh, I I like its its sort of cynical sensibilities, its dark humor. Um, And now it's going to be, like, The Sixth Sense. It's going to be one of those, like, oh, yeah, where it's, you know, he was was Tyler Durden the whole time. Uh, Thankfully, I don't think that ever really stuck to this movie. I, I feel like the general mood and tone of it came across far more than it just being the, like, you know, we need to talk about Tyler Durden on opening weekend <laughs> thing that would be posted. Um, so my uh, fears were unfounded uh, in some way. I guess I should thank M. Night Shyamalan, because The Sixth Sense was decidedly yes. the twist <laughs> movie of 1999. That was definitely. <laughs> um, standout scenes for me, um, you know, it, it's, I don't think this movie is, change too much and from my teenage to adult life uh i probably like uh helena bonham carter a lot more as i you know grew i I like that romance in particular more so than i probably did as a teenager where i'm like i can't wait for you know brad pitt to take a shirt off and they're gonna like do pranks on people and you know steal fat out of dumpsters that sort of thing uh, but now it's it's probably more the the back and forth. It's the 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 banter and the the meet cute between uh, our narrator uh, Jack, I guess here played by Edward Norton and Helena Bonham Carter. Uh, those are probably the scenes that I enjoy the most now. Um, and that's not just that's not me trying to run away from Brad Pitt and Tyler Durden because as I said, uh, this movie has had a lot of criticism. Um, it's just gone back and forth, Dave. It's like, is this movie really smart? Is it really stupid? It's like people can't, uh, they, they can't decide. And um, It's like they're trying to figure I out who's stupid. Just... Is it the movie or is it the audience? Yeah. Who's dumb? <laughs> <laughs> and as always, yeah. it's the audience. Come on, we know this. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, or it's just, it's just a silly movie. Like it's, I think it's, you know, if you talk to like a fucking libertarian or something, it's like you're just a silly person. Like, you know, your your ideas are just silly. They may be at you know, unfortunately, the way that sort of movement has gone, it's gone very like alt rightish. But it's like even if you were saying like, why can't the world be this way? 
you eventually have to just come to the conclusion like, well, this is just, it's just silly nonsense and wasn't that fun to kind of play in that world for a while. And that's kind of how I feel about Fight Club. And I hope that people watching it as they get older, that's what they take away from it, is that clearly our, even our main character is thinking like, okay, this is what happens when I allow my very white, uh, very middle class, upper middle class in this case, uh, complaints run amok too far where it's like, why can't it be exactly the way I want it? Why do I have to, you know, why, why are there credit cards? Why is it? Why is that? You know, that sort of thing. We should just, we should just blow up credit card companies and then there's no more debt. There's someone that's like, well, it's kind of simplistic. I'm not sure that's how that works, but I also get him and Helena Bonham Carter holding hands and, you know, watching the world blow up around them. And it's, it's fun. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. it's fun and silly and strangely sweet in that moment. So I mean, it ex- has that except the excess it, and stupid. And it has that hilarious line reading from Edward Norton where he just says, "You met me at a very strange time in my life." Like it's <laughs> right. just, it's right. a great like just it takes all the piss out of the movie where it's just like, "Yeah, this is all really fucked up and you had a complete psychotic break, but uh, I guess let's move on from here. Uh, that's, <laughs> what do we do now? I think for me, in terms of the twists, like I never minded the twists because I, um, because as I'm watching the movie, I realize that this movie is better than the twist. Um, it holds up in a way that a lot of movies that are built solely on twists don't hold up, right? Because like you could take out the twist; they could be two separate characters. And the movie's still interesting. The movie's still fun. It's still great. Um, The only scene that doesn't hold up for me in terms of, like, when you know the twist is there is a scene relatively early on where the two of them are fighting and then a bunch of guys come up and say, can I try? Like, they want to be a part of it. Hmm. So what did they see in that moment? Did they see Edward Norton kicking the shit out of himself and then decided they wanted to join it like that's the only one like the rest of them you can kind of go back and forth about like who's talking whether it's Tyler or the narrator and it works fine either way it doesn't matter but that is the one scene where I'm like um (laughs) I would love to see what that scene actually looked like with just one person there yeah uh I mean I would just counter you know there's just uh a lot of a lot of dudes who do not look like not only Brad Pitt um but also do not look like Edward Norton uh, and red caps that will do all manner of stupid things oh, and God, that's say true. and believe any stupid <laughs> thing they see. So someone beating themselves up in a parking lot, I don't know. You assume a, a club point. will form even around yes. that. Um, and actually, yeah. like the the world in 1999 and 2000 kind of proved this, right? Because like talk about missing the point that like Fight Club started popping up all across the country, and I was like, guys, no, that's not. <laughs> yes. That's not what we were trying to say here. We we're trying to say this is a bad idea. Like, look how out of control this got. How quickly this is not okay. Yeah, you missed it. That's okay. Uh, maybe try watching it again. I know it's a long movie, uh, but maybe give it another shot. But the DVD is really nice. A lot of it extra is. features on it, so just dive in. I was just gonna say I find it interesting, like where people's buy-in is. I was listening again to a director's commentary because it's Fincher, and he's kind of talking about like he. He kind of got involved with this almost sight unseen. Like someone told him about the scene where they hold a gun to the guy's head and tell him, like, you know, go live your dream, essentially. Mm -hmm. That was the scene he was told about. He was like, holy shit, I got to make this movie. And then read the book in a night and decided to make the movie. So 
I think, you know, that that kind of that passion behind it is really interesting. It's not about for Fincher, at least it wasn't about like, Oh yeah, I'm going to be a libertarian and stick it to the man. Like it wasn't about that. (laughs) It was about like, what will people do when they're pushed up against the wall, when they realize that, that the system is against them. Right. What will you actually do? And I was, you know, as I'm watching this movie, of course, you know, the credit card thing is very silly. You blow up a building. It's not going to erase debt. That's not how debt works. It's, there's an electronic record. It, it's in the cloud. It's everywhere. <laughs> Calm down. Don't blow up buildings. Um, but um, it did ring a little more true in 2020 than I think it did in 1999 because of where we're at right now with, you know, everyone with these horrible student loans and no one has any money and everyone is in debt. And the idea of, you know, cause a lot of people online will talk about like all these, all these hackers and you're not hacking, you know, the, the college loan database and you're not hacking the credit card database. This is how you yeah. even things out. So this, you know, watching this now, yes, it is very simplistic and very, very teenage in that way of just like, I don't like it. Blow it up. That's fine. Um, but I'm watching it and I'm like, you know, <laughs> wouldn't be a bad idea right now to kind of erase this because well, we're all struggling. I would say that Fight Club is pr- strangely more optimistic about things because you have someone that has an unfulfilling job. And same with Office Space. Office Space from 1999. Unfulfilling job. Uh, but by no means um, struggling. It's just they're bored. That's the thing. It's like the, the the upper middle class will revolt against the system out of boredom. Uh, 2020, it's like there is no upper middle class. <laughs> There's like the very rich and then people that are middle class, but on the last rung, could fall into poverty. Like, I mean, middle class you know, now is like, you know, two paychecks away from being homeless. That's, that's what right. middle class is now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, far better off than a lot of uh, our banks, though, as far as <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> thinking two months ahead. Uh, never get uh, that help. Uh, you know, thanks for that $600 that, uh, you know, our lovely elected politicians are finally getting around to after a year. Of yeah. $1,800 for right. a year of nothing. Thanks, guys. Super helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> me and the wife were even talking about it. She was like, are we even going to get it? I'm like, God damn, we better. Like, we, because I was like, I don't, I don't feel like, like, oh, you're too rich to, to not need this. Like, no, like, break, break out the numbers. Like, yeah, I could use that $600. So my point is that uh, Fight Club probably was seeing the world 20 years out in a more positive light that people would feel this in their, in their bones out of some being deeply unsatisfied with what the world is giving them or what they're giving back to the world, as opposed to people, uh, you know, having uh, basic human rights like food and shelter, which is where we're at now. So it's very reasonable for people to start, um, you know, attacking the system. Yeah. It's a Boy, good Dave, point. You've managed to make this. I said, this is fun and silly. So, and it's so like, I oh, have it's incredibly depressing. I have a fun question for you. Do you think <laughs> okay. the reason this movie gets so misunderstood is because it's so fun, because it's so funny. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah because I'm, I don't I'm think watching... Fincher cares about that at all. I don't no. think he really cares if people are misunderstanding it. I think he's no. making it for himself. He's making it for the, the <laughs> chucklehead in the back of the class. Uh, and it's very, you know what? Let me bring Kevin Smith here. Because we always do. Kevin Smith. Um, 
he you know he was attacked uh at one of his q and a's an evening with Kevin Smith about chasing Amy, and it was uh a gay woman that was asking like, "Hey, do you ever think about um you know all of these all the language you use and the sort of attacks on you know the the sort of blatant homophobia that you package into one character usually played by Jason Lee?" Uh, that you know that's not getting through to your fan base, which is very young and very much wants to emulate Jason Lee. They want to be the guy that's into comp books and who's got the best lines and blah blah blah. And uh, they can't be Ben Affleck, but they can be the guy in the the backwards hat and the beard, all of that. Um, and he had a pretty honest, maybe somewhat defensive answer, which is like, I recognize that a lot of people won't reach them in some way, but he, he would hope that with time that they eventually start to reflect on real life relationships they have, which are not movies and then see what did they enjoy about that movie and how there's a disconnect between that and real life. That's, you know, I don't know how effective Kevin Smith was uh, here on a podcast directed by, he is the auteur. So That's of course right. he was successful at it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think uh, it's an interesting point you bring up because I kind of go back and forth with that stuff personally where i'm like how much responsibility do uh do entertainers have to change (laughs) people's fucked up ideas and i'm not sure that i don't know i'm not sure that anyone watching kevin smith is there to have a life-changing moment you know what i mean like i think that's a lot to put on kevin smith like i i really do um and i think the same thing with go ahead what about Parasite? Best picture winning Parasite. We'll elevate this from Kevin Smith. You know, if you come out of, or Get Out, if you come out of Get Out saying, uh, we need to kill white people because they have, they have uh, brainwashing powers, and that, that's, you're, you're taking the literal yeah. aspect uh-huh. of it instead of the, 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 the sort of metaphorical as far as like here, here's like the power structure in, in particular with liberal well-off whites as far as the things they say and then the things they, they believe in their home uh, or a parasite. If your takeaway from parasite is kill the rich. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's probably not as nuanced uh, as what the directors want it to be. And in both those cases being genre movies, I don't know if I would call fight club a genre. Cause I think fight clubs, like I don't even it's, know what you'd classify. It's its own as. thing. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but what they all three have in common is they're very fun movies to watch. They work. Yep. Surface level, as far as, whoa, that, that was a ride. That was a ride. I laughed. I, I laughed in places I didn't expect to, and it kind of made me uncomfortable. But they, they live in that sort of discomfort entertainment, which is very rare. And I would not want any of those directors to be like, all right, we've had our fun. Now let me Here's the lesson, kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would hate that. Yeah, I agree. And it's something that, like, I you know, I've watched this movie a fair amount, but I hadn't watched it in quite a while. And... Like, I I honestly forgot just how funny this movie is. Like, this is, I mean, this is one of the funniest movies we've covered on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just like, throughout the whole thing. And it's weird how it's still, that humor still holds up for me, you know, two decades later. Whereas we've talked about a lot of comedies. Like, you watch comedy from, like, 1986 or even the, the mid-90s. You're like, oh, boy, this is dated and this does not really work for me. But I think so much of it is, like... It's cynical humor, but it's also like it's the force of personality. And when you have, you know, these three leads, like all of them, all three of them, I'm just like, I'm here for it. Um, and I think 
you know, I think you're right that Helena Bonham Carter, probably back then, especially with a mostly young male audience, kind of got short shrift a little bit. But I really like watching it now. I really enjoyed this performance. And if you listen to the commentary, like it sounds like David Fincher is in love with Helena Bonham Carter. He was just like her face. It's perfect. I just and it comes from <laughs> it comes from this like this filming perspective, like the way it's framed and this cherubic, mm-hmm. perfectly round face. And her performance is just so, and he goes on and on. And I'm like, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and I think sometimes we've talked about directors and their muses, right? We talk about Brad Pitt as Fincher's muse. And I think Mm -hmm. I find myself wondering if Helena Bonham Carter had a career where she was not Tim Burton's muse, like what would it Uh, look like? You know, because she kind of got, I mean, she's great in those, (laughs) but she gets trapped in this like, oh, it's the goth chick. It's the weird girl, you know, like, and he or she gets to play that, but also with a serious edge. You know, when you have someone mm. say a line like, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school, I mean, you are, you've got some edge. <laughs> which was movie. the line that the studio approved of, was not the, the first oh, better, line, which I, is... I, I want to have your abortion, is the first line. <laughs> so it's a yeah, lot, and I'm either like, way. Why, why, well, but I mean, why Why is one necessarily better than the other? Like, they're both <laughs> getting across I mean, a disturbing point. Frankly, I think the one they chose is more disturbing. Like... Well, it's yeah, criminal, you know, for, for one. There was a crime yes. committed, as opposed to the former, which is, you know, a choice that's made, one that right. I support. Um, uh, yeah, I, I I think that uh, I just recently uh, talked about L.A. Confidential on Trilogy and Theory with uh, my co-host, Webb. And uh, so we're doing, like, our, that was our, our appropriate it's strange. I come on a podcast directed by him like, uh, Dave, we had appropriate Christmas movies. We did Batman Returns, L.A. Confidential. <laughs> You're doing Fight Club, whatever. Um, but <laughs> and the he, game leading up to it. You mentioned that as one of your the game. Yeah, the, I, I threw that at Webb and he, you know, he batted it away. You know, it's well, like something, he hates it. you know, well, you know, in our podcast version in that universe it's like you know me suggesting something in the bedroom and web's like no 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 that's disgusting and i'm like no the game's really cool like i think you'll i think you'll like it this time that sort of thing um <laughs> just let me try it uh just give me five minutes i wasn't, I wasn't going fine. somewhere oh la confidential um he was sort of lamenting that Kim Basinger is like, you know, she was the Academy Award winning performance, uh and she in that film probably has the least amount to actually do and that's what i really liked about her in that movie and, and you kind of have a little bit of it in fight club where uh the, the the female lead the romantic interest in something that's not necessarily a romantic film is kind of the center of the men's antics and not that la confidential and fight club have that much in common but that's probably one thing where you have just assorted goofballs who think they have <laughs> control of the world and are losing control and there's a woman telling them like you idiot. yeah i think you never had it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly I, I love those i love those type of characters so i love kim basinger and la confidential and obviously helena bottom carter who unfortunately wasn't even nominated for this uh if there was one performance uh, i would it would have been hers uh you know if you want to say it's best supporting uh she's fantastic she's like an all-timer in this and yes you bring up tim burton 
increasingly depressing this episode of Fight Club. <laughs> I'm hoping Panic Room was a lot more fun. When well, we to that second let's half. make it a little less depressing. So we're going to go from a Fincher movie where a woman has to kind of deal with the antics of these men kind of in a supporting way to a movie, a Fincher movie where the woman is the lead and Jodie Foster finally gets a chance to be in a David Fincher movie now that uh, misogynistic dinosaur Michael Douglas is not involved. <laughs> so, <Dinosaur. laughs> so, and this is the movie movie that i think gets the most pushback um from uh from people talk about movies as far as fincher goes like oh yeah they're all really good it's like the panic room i don't know (laughs) about that um and i think how do i say this nicely i think people have a misunderstanding of fincher as a director because i think fincher yes is an auteur yes is an auteur and yes is one of the best of his generation but in a lot of ways, like he is, he works in the trappings of genre, um, and he he would be granted they look much better, but he would be very at home in episodes of Law and Order. Like he really gets into the kind of minutia of what's going on, and I think he took this idea of a home invasion movie and like threw in this like giant steel box and went like I can do a lot of things with this, and this movie like really works for me. Like I, you know, granted it helps that it has a lot of really good actors. I mean, Jodie Foster is one of the best of her generation, and Kristen Stewart is quickly becoming one of the best of hers, and this is a very early performance from her that I really enjoy. Like, And, and this was a movie I don't think... I probably saw it before Kristen Stewart was a star, but I don't think I knew it was her, right? So this is one of the first times like going back and seeing, like, oh, this is the beginnings of Kristen Stewart, before Twilight and before she, you know made a bunch of money and then got her head right and then decided to do good movies. Um, So it's really interesting to watch this from a child performance perspective, because usually you and I are in agreement that child performances are all usually horrible um, and they're very hard to watch. But did you have that? Did you have that? Oh, God. That's the thing we will always share that no one else agrees with us on, but he's terrible. Why? What do you mean uh, no one else? Why? What are they watching? Like, people, people like, he should have won the Oscar. Like, there is a lot of that going on, and I'm like, ugh, horrible. <sighs> but did you have any of that, any of that kind of, obviously not that strong, but any of that kind of reaction with this performance? Because it's not... It's not a over-the-top performance. It's a little more measured because that's Kristen Stewart's style. Um, so did you have any negative reactions to the child performance here? No, not at all. I'd probably have more more of a negative reaction to Jodie Foster in particular. I think she's kind of dull here. And it's, it was interesting reading up on they had started filming with Nicole Kidman and then I read different things like uh, she had an injury or something on set, which is strange, but it was something that happened on, I think Moulin Rouge, I think a previous, you know, which is far more, I'm assuming is involves far more athleticism as far as dance sequences and such, but re aggravated something. And uh, Fincher's original intention was, I think, as we mentioned last episode for Nicole Kidman to play like a Hitchcock blonde, very sort of uh, reserved and kind of, cold withholding which maybe that's shading my impression on this watch of Jodie Foster of like ooh that dynamic with Kristen Stewart that originally it was supposed to be this sort of rebellious thing that you know she she was more outspoken because her her mom would not be and she's sort of dragging her mom along and there's shades of that with Jodie Foster just playing maybe a little bit more nervous energy than what I imagine Nicole Kidman would have was, you know, if you're going for Hitchcock blonde, 
But the other thing is, you know, it's great to see, and I guess Jodie Foster kind of did a little bit of this. She got, she had this small little resurgence into like kind of thriller kind of role. She did not that I would say the, the brave one is a, a thriller in a, from an entertainment value. Cause it's got a, a horrific, uh, sexual assault in it, but it is, you know, a revenge thriller that usually is given to a man, usually a man re- avenging something that's happened to a woman in his life, except this time they allowed the woman to do it. So it's like the that. Bronson, right? It's the kind of death wish. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, but, and then the, there was the airplane movie, I think flight plan, which I never watched. So it's like, you know, she, oh, yeah. she kind of had that little mini, and I do mean mini because I don't think she's as interested in working as much as Liam Neeson. But there was a small window where it's like Jodie Foster, like doing kind of, you know, kicking uh, ass movies in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she, you know, in that regard, she has kind of the most thankless part because she's playing kind of stock hero, um, mm-hmm. you know, protecting her house. We already mentioned Jared Leto is the goofball Forrest Whitaker is the, you know, interesting uh, criminal who has great misgivings about what he's, he's doing as a good heart. Uh, and then my man, Dwight Yoakam, Raul, <laughs> for it. who is the the goat. He's just the best. He just is everything. It comes out of it. nowhere. It comes out of nowhere. Like I, and this is the thing. I I really feel like in a lot of ways, this is one of Fincher's best directed movies. Like he has such a tight control over this movie, um, and part of that is the way they slowly reveal Raul's character. I mean in in even in physical ways at the very beginning like he is completely masked for most of it well they set him up as a goofball right of equal value to jared leto like a guy playing the tough guy part until he actually pulls out he is the tough guy jared leto like he will commit murder in this situation so yeah maybe he's an actual tough guy uh i (laughs) i adore how broad the character is but he underplays such a broad character. I mean, he's taken on the the name of Raul with the stupid ski mask. Uh, is trying to <laughs> burrow up uh, to come underneath the panic room with <laughs> sledgehammer. Uh, there's just so many things where you make him. I, it's a good point you're making. You make him incredibly laughable and stupid uh, until it's time for him to be absolutely menacing. And thing like, oh, that that stupidity stupidity lends itself to him committing uh, acts that even a criminal in this situation would not go that far because they would try to think it through. Like Forrest Whitaker's character tries implores them to do. Uh, Dwight Yoakam's character will go that extra step and then deal with it after the fact. So not often do I like the um, the wild card, I guess, in these in criminal movies, like I like it in Heat because that's sort of the 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 central thrust of this cat and mouse game that you have the one guy that can't keep his gun in his pants, you know, has to shoot someone. Um, it, but here I, I I like it, and also because he fucking shoots Jared Leto, he shoots him right well, in the head. That helps, yeah. Great. I great. but I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up the sledgehammer because this is probably the funniest moment in the entire movie to me it's like the because it's not a funny movie right this is a very tense movie and mm-hmm. there is in that sequence he's you know swinging that sledgehammer up through the ceiling trying to get through this you know whatever five feet of steel which is never gonna work and mm-hmm. and they tell him that like what are you doing this isn't gonna work and i love that fincher has him swing one more time after that like fuck you! Mm-hmm. Like just no one's gonna a, tell it's, me. It's a great little moment that says everything about that character without him saying a word, and gives us a chance to kind of lighten the mood just the slightest bit. Because I will say, I think 
you know, Fincher is an expert at creating tension in movies like this. I mean, we'll talk about it when we get to Zodiac for sure. But that sequence where she leaves the panic room to try and get her cell phone. Oh, man. Like that, that Mm. works really well. And, you know, there's some really interesting camera work that Fincher is doing there. Like instead of zooming in on her and her face, it zooms in on the, on the actual cell phone underneath the bed and her getting closer and closer to it and then kicking it farther away from her by through her panic. Like, Ooh, that works. Nicole Kidman wouldn't have had those problems. Not with her, uh, her wingspan. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's true. She does have the wingspan. She's got that, like, Kevin Durant wingspan going on, Mm. for sure. Mm -mm -mm. That would... You and your tall blonde. My preference. (laughs) thing. Uh, But I was, like, I was shocked at how well that scene works, simply because it's so early in the movie. Um, It's... So, at some level, as a movie watcher, right, you're not, like, we want to be completely engaged in the movie and just be, like, in there. But we know, like, okay, it's been 20 minutes. We're not going to kill off Jodie Foster. Like, this is not <laughs> this is not how this ends. And yet, in that sequence, it's, like, heart-pumping. Like, it is really a scary sequence. Especially because he makes the very interesting choice to cut the sound out um as the as the kind of robbers are arguing and all you see is the lamp falling and the the bulb popping and you know they hear it um so i think he makes so many interesting choices as far as sound design as far as uh camera angles like fincher is really having a good time in this movie but i also don't ever feel like he goes too far it never feels like oh yeah you're just uh you're really playing around in your sandbox here you're having a a little bit too good of a time it still is always for a purpose yeah, probably the most you could accuse him of that is, uh, you know, the, the burning. Uh, who's the studio behind this? Sony's uh, money on like, no, we have to. The camera drifts down from her bedroom, you know, down. And so, you're, yeah, okay. If I'm an executive, I'm like, okay, we're reassessing the floor plan, and that's gonna be important as far as later on knowing where people are. Uh, did you have to go into the keyhole and then through the coffee pot to Fuck go to the back yeah. door? Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's a little show off. Yeah, I mean, I make it, it makes it enjoyable. It's got to be, um, you know, this could don't you don't you well, have like, to show make off the same... in this movie because like it is so contained. Like if you just okay, have so like, like two rooms, like mm. do people complain about Alfred Hitchcock's rope in that way? Like because it's like right. we have to make this visually interesting in some way, even if it is exactly uh, front and center, sort of calling attention to itself. So what? Have some fun with it. Uh, you know, he's going to have a hard enough time controlling the, the pace of this when the title of the film was Panic Room and they're in the panic room. How do you get them out? And I remember my first watch, I had, you know, had some nitpicks about like the daughter, like, oh, okay, so there has to be a medical reason that they have to leave the panic room because otherwise, Chris. phone line or no phone line, we're good. You got some, <laughs> got some food in there. You got a toilet. You know, it's like got water. All right, figure it out fuckheads you know see how long it takes so you have to you have to allow yourself to know that they're going to force conflict in a way but that's also every every movie to some degree right. is forcing conflict <laughs> uh this one is just it's a little bit more wink wink because the the setup is we're going to do this like basically in one little staged area and i i think it works very effectively I actually i don't rewatch this one uh, I certainly haven't seen it as many times as like Fight Club, but I do go back to it, and I think every time I have rewatched it, I'm always more impressed than I remember as far as how Fincher keeps all of the the balls in the air. As far as like, okay, so 
eventually the mom is going to be out of the pink room and separated from her daughter. Uh, poor Yoakum, the the hero of the film, you know, he, he hurts his hand. He gets a boo boo in the in the pink <laughs> room, and you know, there's. I think if you sit back and kind of try to pick it apart, yeah, there's certainly plot devices that are, are questionable, um, but it's it's fun. I, I think it's actually a film. It's probably not designed to be as rewatchable as something like Fight Club, even though that film also, as you as you so graciously pointed out, has plot holes that bother you as far as Ed Norton in the parking lot, the the crucial first fight. Um, but I, I remember watching this in uh, theaters and people just like they just went with it. It was like, oh, that was a good time with the movies. That's I think that was very effective. I think the film nerds, because it's Fincher and because of the way it's so visually interesting, want to go back and rewatch it. But yeah, it's 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 it reminds me a lot of Rope in that in that regard. You know, Rope is why are those two dudes having a dinner party with this? Because they're twisted and it's fun and it's also that's right. the story. You know, they should right. see if they can do it. Exactly. And I think you've actually hit on why I love Fincher so much is that he is obviously a great director, but he's also like, he's not above having a good time. He's not above essentially making, you know, this is just, you know, not just, I mean, that, that denigrates it, but it's like, it's a thriller, right? It's just like, it's supposed to be a good time at the movies. It's not supposed to be like, well, if that staircase was in a slightly different, like, ah, stop it. Just, just <laughs> enjoy, enjoy the ride. Will you? That's what this is supposed to be. And I was also thinking about Jodie Foster's performance here. And I'm, and I'm noticing that the scenes that I love that she's in are the scenes that she's not with her daughter. Um, so hmm. like, particularly the scene with the, with the kind of three cops at the front door, I think she's excellent there. I think she's phenomenal, and I wish that she was either that engaged in the scenes with Kristen Stewart or pulled back even more like the original uh, thought was, that kind of ice queen, uh, kind of keeping it mm. keeping it very distant. But she kind of tries to play—it feels like she tries to play both sides, where she's a little distant because of the divorce and everything going on there, but also like really caring and like mothering almost to a fault, and you're just trying to figure out where she lies in it. I'm not sure that that performance ever completely works, but again, it's a thriller. It's about what amounts to action sequences in an enclosed space. And that's where this movie really shines. Like I just, I'm, I was shocked at how much I enjoyed rewatching this because this is, I think only the second time that I've watched it. It's not something I've gone back to. Yeah. And you know why? Because you know, I'm a physical media guy and it doesn't exist. And like, I would kill... I would kill to hear a director's commentary on this because I think this is actually more interesting than in terms of filmmaking than the other movies he's made because it is so contained. I would love to hear how he arranged his camera and how he got his shots. And there's no rights issues with this either, right? Nope. So Not that I know uh, of. Which I know the abyss, I guess now there is because Disney owns all that, but that's still kind of no excuse for James Cameron for the first, I don't know, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 30 years, not <laughs> yeah. getting around to it. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, Panic Room, that's one that, because uh, it didn't even, it had like a super bit DVD, which is yep. like, we're trying, we're trying to make this as, you know, no special yeah. features, but the visual quality is going to be better. So it's strange to me that it has no Blu-ray and I'm just trying to um, show off to you. Um, I do have it in HD. In my of course you do. Library, so. Of course you do. <laughs> There's that. It's not, if, it, if it had been 4K, uh, you know, I would have raced to shout that into the microphone with Glee. But it's just just merely HD, Dave. You just know, regular old HD. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah. Um, you know, and 
<laughs> you know, when we started this, uh, these couple months of Fincher, I went and like got all my copies of my movies, like kind of lined them up. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's the one. It's the, I think mm. it's his only movie other than Mank so far, which will probably be on Criterion because Netflix seems to have that handshake deal. And everything else right. is on physical media. And I don't know what happened here, <laughs> but I wish that this one did because I think there's a lot of interesting things they could do with it. And um yeah, it's a it's a fun movie. Like honestly, you could have sold this movie to me. Be like, okay, um, it's a home invasion, and Dwight Yoakam plays a character named Raul. That's all you would have needed to say. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Sign me up. Let's go. I'm well, ready. you know, the, I I already pimped it once, but it gave me ideas for a, a trilogy in theory, Dwight Yoakam months. Because I recently, I think I said on the show, rewatched Sling Blade, Sling Blade because he. Uh, I love the the abusive, um, I guess, attempt at being a stepfather that he is there, where he he calls little, little Friday Night Lights uh, a weird little shit. You're a weird little shit, and I don't like you. <laughs> and here with Kristen Stewart, he's just don't look at me, <laughs> don't you dare make eye contact with me. <laughs> I'm wounded right now. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And I think we mentioned him briefly, but I think probably the most uh, the character who you care the most about, as far as like the villains. Is the Forrest Whitaker character, and I think he's he's kind of the perfect choice for that kind of criminal with a heart of gold. Like he plays that really well. Like he has that kind of that kind, like he's got that look in his eyes, that kind of that kind of soulful look where you're like, there's something more going on underneath. He's carrying the surface a lot of weight here. with him. Yeah. Like he's got a yes. he's got the face for that. Um, so yeah, and I you know, and also to his credit, he plays humor really well here too. Mm-hmm. Like his. <laughs> you know, his just complete annoyance at these two fucking idiots that he's, he's in so this exasperated it, it should, for like the first should be 40 so minutes. Like easy <sighs> and having to constantly remind them of how they're making their his life and theirs harder. Uh, I, I got quite a few chuckles out of yes. Mr. Whitaker here. So, yeah, he was he was good here. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to stand by Jodie Foster. She stinks. No wonder Douglas didn't want her. <laughs> ah, her. here comes Mike boring here. hating women. Finally, well, my moment. You, you know, but it. I love Sean Penn, the game, but it did make me think like, wow, Jodie Foster. I want to see, see her play that type of part. Like you mentioned, we did Inside Man. And that's really interesting mm, where she gets yeah. to play kind of conniving and, yep. you know, a little dirty. Um, but yeah. So her playing um, that in the game would have been really cool. And yep. if I could flip it, perfect world, you know, get her in the game, get Nicole cool Kidman, Kidman here. Yeah. And this, yep. yeah, that's yep. how it works for Good me. Good to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, I think this is what, you know, for me is really setting Fincher apart even more this month. It's just like how, how funny his movies are because you think of the auteur and you think it's all very self-serious and we have to really you know look at this with a strict eye and like actually like so far like if you look at like what have we covered so far so we did you know alien three mank seven the game uh fight club and panic room pretty much all of those movies like have a fair amount of humor in them like he does not Mm -hmm. take his work like super seriously like he realizes that if he's going to make movies like this that have depth to them you have to have you know some sweet with the sour you can't just be cynical and be awful for two and a half hours like you gotta you gotta lighten it a little bit and i think he's shockingly kind of 
an expert at that because I think we have this idea of Fincher is like, oh, a thousand takes and he's so hard to work with. And from that, you get this idea of like, oh, God, he must take this so seriously. But if you listen to him in interviews and you listen to him like interact with people like Brad Pitt on director's commentaries, he has a really good sense of humor, even about his own work. Maybe not while he's doing it, but when he's looking back on it, he's like, oh, yeah, I fucked that up. Like, I was kind of a jerk then. But, like, he's a funny guy, and I think that really helps sell these serious movies when you have a little bit of that humor. Yeah, I was recalling in the, uh, you know, the th- three hours of wreckage and rage where he uh, mm. says that their their whole days being held up by like a moron or an idiot or something i'm like it's kind of amusing but i don't think i'd want to be the guy i want to be the idiot (laughs) referred to in such a way yes absolutely all right so we made it through another double feature but our next episode we are just going to cover one movie because we're going to talk about zodiac next time which is one of the one of the best movies of the last 20 years like amazing i agree with you there i also agree with if you try to double it up with the next two Boy, that's a long runtime for the episode with Zodiac Ooh. and Benjamin Button. So. Oh, no, let's so not let's do that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, them. yes, exactly. All right. Um, so, in the meantime, if you want to follow us online, we are on Twitter at DirectedByPod, and we have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash a podcast directed by. Everybody